0: Well, good morning. Remember how it was when you were young? At least this is how it was at my house. I don't know if this is how it rolled in your home. But I remember being a teenager, and uh, I I know exactly what would happen in that moment when my dad came to the conclusion that I had been in the shower long enough. (laughs) He would flush a toilet or two (laughs) and send me a message. that sudden change in in water temperature from pleasantly warm to scalding hot, it it, it never failed to get my attention. You know, gradual change is, is fairly easy to take in stride, right? But abrupt, unexpected change, that's tougher. We find it to be startling, to be unsettling. And that's not just true for water temperature. That's just true in general. And yet, you and I, we live in an era of constant and radical change, don't we? That's part of the reason, I think, that so many people, so much of the time, uh, feel unsettled and anxious. I mean, nothing is how it used to be. And really, we've got no reason to think that things are going to continue even the way that they are now. It seems that the only constant these days is constant change. In times like this, you and I, we've got to learn to adapt to an ever-changing environment while at the same time, we've got to hold fast to our unchanging God as we unswervingly declare his unchanging message. That's no easy task. But understand this, it's also nothing new. We face it today just like Jesus' disciples faced it in their day. Well, grab your Bibles. Open up to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, we're going to look at at just a handful of verses this morning, verses 35 through 38. And I'd like you to follow along. Will you do this? Will you stand as you find Luke 22? I'm going to read our passage for us, and you can follow along yourself. Beginning in verse 35, it's Jesus who is speaking. Luke tells us that he also said to them, When I sent you out without money bag, traveling bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? Not a thing, they said. Then he said to them, but now whoever has a money bag should take it, and also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword should sell his robe and buy one. For I tell you, what is written must be fulfilled in me and he was counted among the lawless. Yes, what is written about me is coming to its fulfillment. Lord, they said, look, here are two swords. That is enough, he told them. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask that you would have your hand on us this morning, that you would help us to, uh, to hear what it is that you would say to us, to understand it clearly. And Lord, I pray that... Um, The parts of it we love, we would hear readily. And maybe, Lord, the parts of it that that are uncomfortable or frightening to us, we would hear even more readily, knowing, Lord, that we can trust you. Father, I pray that you would speak to us clearly this morning. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, where we pick up again this morning, uh, Jesus and his disciples are mere hours from an absolutely seismic change. In in just a few hours, uh, while Jesus prays and his disciples sleep, a crowd will come and join them there in the garden. And Jesus will be arrested and he will be taken away. And, And suddenly the one who had drawn... These adoring crowds all throughout Galilee, uh, the one whom they had wanted to, to crown as king, the one that, to whom they had pledged their loyalty just days before, and now they will arrest him, and they will mock him, and they will abuse him. He'll be falsely accused, and then they will demand his execution. But Jesus had told them all along that this day would come. He told his disciples over and over again, saying in places like Luke chapter 9, do you remember that? Jesus told his disciples it's necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things, to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, to be killed, to be raised on the third day. Told them again, just a few chapters later, Luke chapter 18. He took the 12 aside. It's like he's making a point to make sure that they understand him, that they hear him. And he told them, we're going up to Jerusalem. Everything written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. He will be handed over to the Gentiles. And he will be mocked and insulted and spat on. After they flog him, they will kill him. And he'll rise on the third day. Really, that's what Jesus is talking about further down in our passage in verse 37. Look there. There Jesus tells his disciples, I'm telling you, what is written about me must be fulfilled. What was written? That he was counted among the lawless. And Jesus affirms it again. He says, yes, what is written about me is now coming into fulfillment. He says, guys, it's happening. Think about this. Jesus, who had been an immensely popular rabbi all throughout Galilee, he was about to be treated as a heretical pariah there in Jerusalem. The pendulum of popular opinion was swinging, as it always does, and he would now be rejected. But you can't expect the disciples to have seen that coming. And so he warned them about this. He warned them that, that not only would he face this opposition, they would too. After all, they were his disciples. They were his followers. And so they too would face opposition and eventually persecution. Over and over again, Jesus told them that this is what they should expect. I don't think he put it more bluntly anywhere than he does in John 16. There Jesus tells them, you will have suffering in this world. He doesn't say you might have suffering. He doesn't say you could have suffering. He says you will have suffering in this world. But he adds, be courageous, be courageous because I've conquered the world. So the disciples, think about this, the disciples who had gone from village to village ahead of Jesus all throughout Galilee uh, during his great popularity there in the villages of that region, uh, very soon they would again be going out. Uh, they'd be going out not just into Galilee but into the whole of the wide world to declare their crucified and risen Messiah to be God in human flesh. And when they did that, they would find that the warm welcome that they had received in Galilee, it was long gone. Instead, they would often experience hardship and opposition. And so Jesus is preparing them to embrace that. And so in verse 35, Jesus first reminds them of when he sent them out without money bag, without traveling bag, even without a spare set of sandals. And so here Jesus is referring uh, both to Luke chapter nine and to Luke chapter 10. There in Luke nine, Jesus had sent the 12 out to heal and to preach in his name. And then in Luke chapter 10, he sent the larger group of disciples, the 72, to go ahead of him to the various villages that he was about to visit all throughout Galilee. And back then, when he sent them out in that context, he had instructed them and not to bring anything with them, but rather to depend upon the hospitality of their fellow Jews. And so looking back at that experience, Jesus asks them, did you lack anything? And of course, the answer is no, not a thing. We had everything that we needed. Jesus is reminding them that he had taken care of them. He met their needs, and he met their needs through the hospitality of their countrymen. He reminds them of that, and he does it because, well, times are changing. The circumstance in which they are living is different than what it had been. But understand this. Though their circumstances are changing, Their God isn't. God isn't changing. Uh, The Lord, the Lord is still going to meet their needs. It's just going to happen in different ways than it did before. And so in verse 36, we read this. Then Jesus said to them, now, from this point on, whoever has a money bag should take it. And also a traveling bag. And whoever doesn't have a sword, he says, they should sell their robe in order to buy one. And so Jesus gives a completely different set of instructions for this new season of life into which they are entering, for this very different set of circumstances within which they are going to be ministering. Now they're supposed to bring a money bag. They weren't before, but now they are. And a traveling bag, the same thing. And even, Jesus says, if you don't have a sword, you should go out and get one. Now, God is still going to provide for them. That isn't what this is about. He is still who he has always been. God remains the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Please understand this, both before and after, in both sets of circumstances, God remains our shepherd who provides for us what it is that we need, who leads us to lie down in green pastures and who leads us beside quiet waters. What Paul wrote in Philippians 4.19, uh, that it is God who will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's still true. That's absolutely true. But God is going to meet these needs in a different way. Now, all of this is pretty straightforward. Jesus is really is just simply saying to his guys, use some common sense. Think ahead. Uh, Bring some money and pack a suitcase. He's not saying, well, from now on, you're on your own, guys. I'm out. No, no, no. That isn't it at all. No. Uh, The Lord is just saying it's going to be different than it was back in Galilee. Don't expect things to go like they went then. Don't expect strangers to take care of you or even to accept you. You're going to need to have a plan when you go out this time. Now, where some people struggle with what Jesus says here is the part where he includes among the ways that they're supposed to prepare, telling them that if they don't have a sword, that they should go out and get one. And Now, I know that that's not a controversial thought in our community. (laughs) I think a few of you have actually taken this for your life verse, haven't you? You've got this in calligraphy in your living room, you know? But in other communities, what Jesus says here, well, honestly, it's unexpected for them. It, It seems foreign to them. What we need to be cautious of is ever responding to those things in Scripture that are unexpected or foreign to us by trying to explain them away. People do that with this passage. Uh, They try to explain away what Jesus says about buying a sword by by claiming that he must be speaking metaphorically or he's just being ironic, or if you're very educated, he is being ironical. Uh, Of course, they, they don't apply the same standard to the part where he says that you're supposed to pack a suitcase. If I plan to leave on a missionary trip, And I just said, no, 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 I'm not gonna pack a suitcase. I'm gonna allow the Lord to provide for me. (laughs) They would rightly call me presumptive. But when it comes to giving thought and taking steps to provide for personal safety, for self-defense, Somehow for them, that's a whole different category. They can't fathom tell, uh, Jesus telling us that we need to have a plan for that as well. They argue that Jesus, Jesus couldn't have meant that because he does not intend to advance his kingdom by armed force. And I would agree, he doesn't. And neither is he planning to advance the kingdom through money or luggage, He's advancing his kingdom through the declaration of his word. They argue that, well, Jesus couldn't have meant what we think he meant because that very same evening when uh, when Peter pulls out a sword, Jesus commands him uh, to put it away. And I agree, that is exactly what happened. And I promise you this, if, if John had pulled out his money bag and tried to bribe the crowd to leave, or if Philip had gotten out his suitcase in order to let Jesus crawl into it to hide, <laughs> he would have stopped them too. <laughs> Jesus was giving himself as a willing sacrifice. He wasn't trying to avoid this moment, and he didn't need their help. Some will argue that, well, certainly Jesus couldn't mean what we think he meant here because elsewhere in scripture, Jesus tells us we are to turn the other cheek. And I agree. He did say that. And we must do that. And friends, where others want to explain away what Jesus says here about obtaining a sword, far too often I think we are guilty of wanting to explain away what he says about turning the other cheek. You see, our pride, our pride should be crucified with the rest of our flesh. But what Jesus says about a sword here, it it isn't about calmly taking an insult. It it isn't about um, wanting to defend your pride. No, that isn't what it's about at all. Now, the the last and the strongest objection that is often presented is the the fact that we never, we never read of Peter or Paul or any of the early church ever taking up a sword in self-defense. We just don't read that. And I think that's a a valid argument. Either it did not happen or the Lord chose not to record it for us to read. Rather, we, we see a very different dynamic taking place. Uh, we see Paul throughout the book of Acts in situation after situation where he receives abuse, where he is unjustly beaten or whipped and he suffers it all without returning violence. Paul especially endures so much. What I find interesting is that he seems mostly not to think too much about what it is that he suffered. Even when he talks to us about everything that he's experienced, despite the radical intensity of all that he endured, he does not let those things become his focal point. Uh, Take, for instance, 2 Corinthians 11. Uh, There, Paul has that famous list of things that he experienced. He says, five times I received 40 lashes, whipped, 40 times minus one from the Jews. Three times, he said, I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Once is enough, I guess. (laughs) Three times shipwrecked, I've been a night and a day on the open sea, on frequent journeys, and then he talks about the dangers he's experienced, very real dangers. I, I face dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, and dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, and dangers amongst false brothers. Yeah, Paul faced continual and very real danger. He lived his life in a very bad neighborhood (laughs) called Planet Earth. And yet, what's the focal point of everything that Paul talks about? He he never talks about the, you know, the great battles fending off his attackers. He, He doesn't, talk about his huge arsenal of swords or, or which particular type of sword he prefers or what he thinks the ultimate end of the world sword is. Instead, whatever his situation, Paul's focus is on the gospel. And his actions and his responses, they are determined by what he Sees as that which will best advance the gospel. You see, his life and his rights, they're quite secondary to him, <laughs> if they're that. I think this perspective is hinted at a little bit by how Jesus responds there in verse 38. They're the disciples uh, responding to what Jesus said. They want to let him know, well, we heard you and we're all in, Jesus. And so they pull out their arsenal. They're they're like, hey, we are on board with this, Jesus. They they must have been from North Idaho. (laughs) And so they say, Lord, here are two swords. And Jesus simply responds, that's enough. Now, those who who have a hard time with this passage, they will argue that what Jesus is really saying here is enough, stop it, get rid of those. That's not at all what I meant. But that's quite a stretch. You have to really bend what the text actually says to get there, and understand this. um, Jesus isn't a poor communicator. We should never begin an explanation of scripture by saying, Well, what Jesus was trying to say, we see what the Bible is trying to communicate here. Let me just clarify for you what the Bible seems to just have a hard time getting out. I promise you, Jesus says what he means and means what he says. We have to be so careful not to just explain away at those passages of Scripture that we don't like or that we don't understand or or that make us nervous. Anytime that someone explains a passage of Scripture to you by basically making it say the opposite of what it clearly says or, or, or takes a passage of Scripture and by the time they're done explaining it, it basically says nothing at all or takes a passage and and gives you an explanation of it that just quite honestly you could never get by simply reading the passage be more than a little bit suspicious because God is a great communicator. Scripture says what it means and it means what it says. When Jesus says that two swords are enough, it doesn't mean swords are bad. It is, though, a rather odd answer, mathematically speaking, isn't it? I mean, there's 11 disciples and there's two swords. Honestly, there's probably way more than 11 disciples because the women are there as well. And so there's this group, but only two swords. The sense that I get is what Jesus is saying is sure, that'll work. That's fine. It's not the focus. The swords the wallets, the suitcases, not even the sandals, they're not the main point here. Uh, the main point that Jesus has been making and that he is trying to clarify with his disciples is you guys are gonna need to think ahead. You guys are need to you are gonna need to engage with how the world is, not how it was, so that you can do the work of the gospel unhindered. That's where your focus needs to be. Your focus needs to be on doing what you need to do so that you can bring the message of the kingdom. Understand this as well. Jesus doesn't say what he says here. Focused upon our comfort and our security. And this may make you a little anxious, but your safety is not Jesus' highest priority. And you should be glad for that. You know, there are some whom God will call to minister in places and in situations that are not entirely safe. There are some that God will call to put their lives at risk for the sake of the kingdom so that the world may know about the king who surrendered his life so that we might be reconciled back to him. Our safety, our comfort, our rights are not the highest priority. The gospel is. That's something I think we would do well to think about in our particular moment in history. You and I, We are seeing day after day our constitutional right to the freedom of religious practice uh, being ignored, being stripped away, even being demonized, being presented as something that is, it's it's evil. (laughs) And in the midst of that, as we try to retain those rights, and by the way, we should try to both reestablish and if we can, to keep those rights. But in the midst of that, there are a couple of things that I think we need to make sure of. First of all, we need to remember that the early church didn't have the freedom we have, okay? The early church didn't have the freedoms we have In fact, most of the church throughout history, much of the church around the world today doesn't have these sorts of freedoms. And even though it's hard to not have them and even though, yes, it is far better to have them, yet we should understand very clearly, even without those freedoms, our God is at work in the church the church will continue on. In fact, the church will do quite well, even amidst persecution and difficulty. Oh, sure, you should do what you can. You know there's a, an election this week, right? Hey, you better vote. You better look into it. You better uh, do some research. You better know who you're voting for and, and what it is that they're standing for. Uh, you should be doing what you can do. And if you look at that list of candidates, and, and, and maybe rightfully you would say it's nothing but a, a bunch of scoundrels, then run for office. <laughs> do something. Take action. The, the, these are worthwhile ventures. Meet with your leaders. The one thing I would say don't bother to waste your time with is social media. Don't think, oh, well, I'm going to respond to this. I'm going to post something. (laughs) Just don't. (laughs) Know this for certain. Even if our freedoms... end up being taken away. It won't be the end of the church. Understand that. Our God is bigger than that. Jesus has told us all along that we will experience difficulty. But remember what he said with that. He said, don't fear. Don't fear because he has overcome and he will carry us through. It's another thing that we need to keep, our, keep clear in our minds is that we can't let any of this take our focus off the gospel. The gospel, the, the ministry of reconciliation that God has given us, the, the fact that we are the ones that God has assigned the task to communicate, to rank and harden sinners not that they're lousy, uh, but that Christ died for them. Is the fact that God has given us the task of telling those arrogant and hypocritical religious fakes, not that we despise them, but that Christ died for them. You and I, we have been given the task of telling this rebellious world that God has done everything that they could not do in order to reconcile them back to himself. Friends, that is to be our focus. That is to be the thing that is at the top of our minds. We can't let anything take our focus off the gospel. Not the vile sinfulness of this world. And it is vile, isn't it? And it's getting worse day by day not even the loss of our protected and privileged status, we cannot let that take our eyes off the gospel. In this life, certainly in our day, more and more, we will experience very real hardship and open opposition. Know this. In the midst of that, God is still God. And he will continue to provide for us and protect us. But he also calls us to take present circumstances into account. Friends, you and I, we should not assume that we will always have the rights that we have today. It's not a birthright. It's not a guarantee. And we should not assume that others will support us in what we do or in what we believe, because they won't. And so Jesus would say, have some common sense. Prepare, plan, get yourself ready. And he doesn't mean build a bunker when he says that. Unless what we're talking about is a bunker for your soul, Because what needs to be hardened and fortified is your confidence in God, your faith in God, your reliance upon God, and your willingness to engage yourself and to give yourself fully to building His kingdom no matter what the circumstances are like out there. Remember this. Remember what Jesus promised his disciples in John 14. As Jesus was about to physically depart from them, he assured them, he said, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. Let that day come soon. Let's pray. Father, we ask that that you would work these things into reality in our lives. God, that you would help us to to hear and to receive and to hold to the things that your word declares to us, the things that, that resonate with us and the things that maybe we find to be threatening or that we find ourselves uneasy about. that we would trust you more than we trust ourselves. And God, in the midst of this world in which we're living that is ever-changing, in the midst of the circumstances around us that seem to be degrading moment by moment, I pray that we would keep our eyes on you. We would stay focused on the gospel that that would be the thing. That would be the thing, the filter through which we, uh, we view all of life and every circumstance and every situation. It would be the gospel. We would be gospel-obsessed, gospel-proclaiming, gospel-living people. Work that in us, Lord. We pray it in Jesus' name.